What's up, everyone? I'm Andrew Steinwald, and this is Zima Red. On this show, we speak with the users, founders, and creatives that are diving into the world of unique digital assets, also called non-fungible tokens. My guest today is Jim. You might know him from the CryptoKitties, Cheese Wizards, or a whole host of other NFT discords. Jim takes us through his distinguished professional career and tells us about his journey to crypto and then to the NFT space. We get deep into conversations on all things NFTs, but we keep on coming back to what makes the core essence of non-fungible tokens, specifically the art and metadata. What I love about this conversation is that Jim is an NFT user turned founder. It gives him a unique insight and a user-centric approach to building the best NFT. Please enjoy. All right, Jim, thanks so much for coming on. And to start us off, I'd love to hear a little bit about your personal background and then also how you got involved with the crypto slash non-fungible token ecosystem. Andrew, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, it's an honor to be your first or one of your first guests. Um, really looking forward to this podcast series as a listener. So uh, thank you so much. Um, so my name's Jim McNellis. I previously uh, started and ran a technology startup um, that was partnered with Google selling uh, what's today called G Suite. It was Google Apps when I was in business with them. And it, we were a, a bootstrap startup. I started in my parents' basement. Sitting at the, it was an unfinished basement with bare uh, um, insulation on the walls. And I remember concrete floor, sitting at a desk. And uh, starting that business, uh, se selling websites and setting up email for small businesses. And I got involved in the online community that was emerging around that and um, ended up with an opportunity to partner with Google. And uh, I grasped onto that and really immersed myself into the product itself and learning about everything I could about it and then um, teaching others how to use it. Um, we ended up growing from that small little one person operation in my parents' basement to at the time when I left, we were over 30 employees distributed completely throughout the country. And um, we were one of Google's top partners. Um, I was on the Google Enterprise Partner Advisory Board for a few years. I was a speaker at Google I.O. and um, worked with many large customers from the city of Los Angeles, city of Boston, uh, New York Times, Netflix, um, the list goes on. It was really awesome. And uh, I enjoyed it a ton because I cared about like, I really liked Gmail before, you know, this came out. And when that came out for businesses, I was really excited because I felt like it was kind of going to change things. And it was going to be a really useful tool for small businesses to be able to get equal footing with large businesses. And as time went on, it became something that was actually useful for enterprise as well. And today, I think... <laughs> 95% of the people I interact with have like Hangouts or Gmail and all the new businesses and startups have it. So I left that in 2013. I left it in good hands. Um, my brother is uh, now the sole owner of that business and my sister still helps him run it. I think they've doubled or tripled in employee size and probably 10x to their revenue. So, um, but for me, uh, it started to go in a different direction. It wasn't as exciting anymore. They were, they were doing a uh, more uh, large, uh, large uh, platform moves onto Google Cloud Platform. It became less about Gmail and Google Apps and business tools and what was useful for users. And I really liked interacting with users and everything else. So um, it was it was getting a little stale for me. And uh, I took a couple of years off. I hiked on the Appalachian Trail for a bit, 
it was actually there in like 2017 when I uh, was hiking on the Appalachian Trail and uh, someone mentioned that they were making money while they were walking down this trail. And I was like, how are you, how you doing that? And they said that they were mining Bitcoin. And, you know, a light bulb went off in my head because I had known about Bitcoin the whole time, basically. I I wasn't like an early adopter or anything, but I was aware of it. I knew about it. I remember thinking, you know, when the Mt. Gox thing happened, how big of a scam, you know, this virtual money was and how how could you value it at $400? But anyways, I got off the trail shortly after that and uh, started doing a little bit more research and ended up setting up some Ethereum mining rigs, or I set up one rig and I did that and ended up doing that in November of 2017, right before Thanksgiving. And that was when everything really started to pop off. So everybody was, everybody was kind of looking at crypto at that time, but I had a rig underway. Um, I ended up building five more by the end of December had a, a wonderful time exploring all the different altcoins and everything else and learned everything I could about all these different blockchains. And I found myself, you know, getting pretty bored of that about February. So from November to February, I was just immersed in every altcoin and every blockchain and just trying to understand the technology as deeply as possible. It turns out on December 4th, I did buy my first crypto kitty. So going back just a little bit there, and uh, it was right after my cat had run away. She had been gone for about two days. There was, you know, 18 inches of snow on the ground. I lived in uh, Truckee, California at the time, which is in uh, the Sierra Nevadas. It's a uh, Lake Tahoe area. And I was like, she's a goner. So I took some of my hard earned mind Ethereum. Um, like, I think I was getting like 0.05 ETH payouts at the time every couple of days because I only had one or two rigs up by then. So that was a lot. That was like a lot of electricity, a lot of effort. Um, but I spent it on a cat. You know, things were going crazy at the time. So any cat I could get, I was happy with. And I ended up with probably the worst like quality cat that I have in my collection at this time. But it was the cat that commemorated my cat, uh, Katniss. And uh, I still have the, the cat. And my cat actually came back two weeks later crazy she lived i don't know how she's still alive today but uh so that was my first touch on nfts and i i didn't have enough crypto at the time and i so i couldn't really get involved with crypto kitties when it was going off and i didn't understand it and i didn't want to just throw money at something that was gonna be a complete waste so i kind of left it alone and went back to the alts like i was talking about for a time but i kept coming back to crypto kitties like every couple weeks I would just look at it again. This is interesting. And then um, I think it was like at the end of, of uh, January when I looked again and it, it, there was a guy named Kai who I actually know now and uh, he's been an advisor on a project, my project that we'll talk about later. I didn't know him at the time. Kai had broken the CryptoKitty genetic code or sometime in December, I think I noticed in January, late January sometime that helped like solve a little bit of the mystery behind like, what would I be throwing my money at here? And that there was actually um, like a system that you could follow to breed crypto kitties. And there was still some opportunity at the time to like, it wasn't fully known. So you could still breed some cats for some profit if you knew what you were doing. And so I started, I decided I was going to take this seriously, which was a weird thing to say, take breeding 
digital cats on the blockchain seriously but i was i was going to put some effort into it like i had with these altcoins and everything else i was going to actually look at it and try to understand it because i thought it was cool i should say that collectibles in general i think it's kind of in my blood a little bit we're not there's no like serious collectors in my family but we're all collectors my grandfather had you know uh, coin collections growing up my father um collected baseball cards with my brother and my sister and myself. Legos is something that I had gotten into collecting as an older person. And you know, after I became an adult, I started collecting kind of retired sets and things like that. And I actually did that a lot for a little while. And it's really a pain to sell a physical item online and then ship it and go through that whole process. I'm inherently lazy, so I don't want to do all that effort just to sell something for a small profit. So the idea of a collectible token, a digital collectible, was really something I grasped onto because I, I see it as a low level of effort to be able to buy and sell these things, um, which is potentially good liquidity market and everything else. Um, so I, I can get excited about that pretty easily. I'm also an avid video game player. I'm not an amazing gamer, but I play games a lot. I've spent thousands of dollars on Dota 2 hats and skins and swords and things like that. And so I understand virtual items and the value that people assign to virtual items. At least I understand it from my own perspective. And so the idea, like, you know, this late January idea and decide, decide, decision to commit to learning about CryptoKitties was really just born out of like this collectibles thing that I like and I love the art I really I mean I just could look at the cat and like kind of like feel a little bit of emotion for it I don't know why I'm sure some people I know share that same thing with some of these nfts and you know others don't see it you know it's, it's it, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder but the crypto kitties art is really nice they did a great job with that and I love that you can like make your own so so anyways February came around uh, and uh I start. I joined the Discord for for CryptoKitties and found the community. I, I at that point was kind of operating without a rudder and didn't really know what I was doing. There's not a lot of stuff on Reddit or anything, and it took me time to realize that these communities for NFTs live on Discord. And I was already familiar with Discord because I'm a gamer and I had my own server for just my buddies and stuff like that. So I started to get into there and uh, kick around in in those channels and realize that like. There was really this amazing community around CryptoKitties and like such a varying degree of of people of all walks of life all throughout the world. But a lot of them, you know, obviously that everybody was learning about and or understood blockchain to a degree and had some buy into cryptocurrency at that point. Um, I mean, CryptoKitties definitely brought in people who weren't into crypto um but for the majority of people i think still were familiar with crypto and then gravitated towards towards crypto kitties um but it was just to me like kind of what i'd been missing for for a few years like i had trouble getting excited i mean blockchain was exciting to me and like that was the thing i felt like i could grasp onto like after the, the google apps thing um but then it was like a force multiplier when i found nfts in the crypto kitties community and realize the potential that could exist beyond even just this initial game, but even within the CryptoKitties itself. I mean, for the first six months of, uh, for the next six months after, you know, after February, I probably didn't really buy any other NFTs. I was a 
purist on CryptoKitties. I didn't really feel like anything else was was up to snuff. Eventually, I became a moderator on the CryptoKitties server. Um, I think it was just so they could basically whip me in line and get me to fall in line um, and stop trolling them. Um, but, you know, I like to debate. I like to make points. Um, I'm a, I consider myself a fair but rough debater. And uh, I also do appreciate order and rules and things like that. And uh, I think I ended up being a good fit, um, probably because I'm a little older in my maturity and in the way I come across on, on the server there. But it's happy to become a mod. And uh, that kind of allowed me to have a bit more of a voice in things and uh, allowed me to get to know some people that didn't know who I was and whether or not they should trust me before. Now I had an ability to establish trust over time in that position, which I believe I've done. So yeah, that was kind of how I got into NFTs is just this journey from the Appalachian Trail and no technology to and hearing about it to coming back and researching and getting into blockchain, mining Ethereum, getting bored with alts. And then, um, you know, the NFTs, it's been, you know, 18 or 19 months now. I haven't gotten bored yet. Far from it. I can't stop thinking about these tokens. I, I'm pretty sure I'm locked in for like the next, uh, you know, five, seven, 10 years on blockchain, NFT tokens and wherever the space evolves. I'm ready to, to play a part in all of that. I absolutely love that. I think uh, you explain your professional background was incredible and working for Google and, and working with all those different companies that that's in, its, in itself is extremely incredible. But hearing your beautiful backstory about how you discovered uh, cryptocurrencies while hiking the Appalachian Trail and then your cat Katniss, that, that's such a it's such a cool story. So I, I love that. When you were first looking at CryptoKitties, was it more so that you were attracted to the potential of making money or was it the, the community you felt like, okay, these people are potentially onto something and they're a great group of people and I want to be involved in this. What, what was it more, the money or community? Well, I think it was a process. The first thing was that there was actually something that I could spend this Ethereum that I had very little of, but there's actually something I could spend it on. Cause up to that point, like I was, still struggling with the concept of like, all right, well, this is virtual money, but like, what do I do with it? So like NFTs, crypto kitties answered that question. So that was the first thing um, is something to do with this Ethereum that I'm mining. I love to spend money and, and especially if I'm getting it for quote unquote free, you know, just by mining it. I love the concept too of miners. I don't have my miners on anymore, but I love the idea of computers working for you and investing in like a asset and then having it do work for you. The second part was the idea that I could take this concept of mining and apply it to breeding of tokens and creation of NFTs. I thought it was really amazing what CryptoKitties had done. They had created this opportunity for people to buy these assets and then to then pay this breeding fee to create more of those assets, which those people could then sell more of. Like, I just love that, that concept. Like it was such a neat thing. And to me at first, um, or, or secondly, the second draw was that I could potentially do that if I was smart about it, because there was obviously people that were making money doing it. It turns out in the beginning, it was a lot, a lot of hype. And 
and people just didn't know. So the speculation was off the charts and it was kind of untenable and unrealistic, the prices that people were paying at the time. Although I think a lot of us that now own the cats that people paid those crazy prices for would like to see those prices return one day in the far, far future. I mean, sooner the better. But anyways, um, and then the third component was the community, right? So that's what really kept me there was, was knowing I could learn by being there and knowing that I could learn about NFTs and that I could learn about other things related to blockchain and NFTs from being there and engaging in that conversation. My social, online social um, profile or interaction has changed a lot over the last 18 months as a result of all this. I've gone from um, spending a lot of time on Facebook and all that stuff and uh, to, to really moving and not even being on Twitter um, at all to moving to pretty much my entire day spent in Discord um, on various servers and engaged in a lot of really what I consider highly intellectual conversations about NFTs and about the blockchain in general and other things too. Like we, it's really cool because I actually nine months ago deleted my Facebook. Um, I don't even have that trash anymore. There was no debate taking place whatsoever in my network on, on Facebook. It was everybody had decided on where they stood on everything and changing someone's mind was like a major feat. So, I mean, at least in these communities on Discord and what, whatnot, you know, there's at least some percentage of people who are like still interested in learning and figuring things out and know they don't know everything. And I count myself amongst those that don't know everything and want to learn. Um, so that was really refreshing. So I've gone and then now I have, you know, my Twitter, you know, uh, I've had going now for you know, probably about 18 months in one form or another. And, uh, you know, I'm actively engaged on, on Twitter and I find a lot of useful information about NFTs and projects on Twitter. Um, right now I'm following a ton of crypto artists just because of my interest in art and NFTs and the intersection there. Just a ton of cool stuff. And then a bunch of neat projects. You know, I learn about a lot of like NFTs based and blockchain based stuff on Twitter and Discord. That's pretty much where I get my info. Uh, Reddit is something that's been there the whole time for me. And I still spend a lot of time on Reddit, but it's a slower pace of information. And um, I don't find nearly as engaged of a blockchain community on Reddit, at least around the NFT topics and everything else. ETH dev is okay. It's actually where I found my developer for my project, but um, it's really Discord and Twitter is where I think the NFT communities live. Blockchain likes likes Telegram as well, but those are more crypto-based communities than NFT-based communities. And uh, I just really dislike uh, the user experience on um, Telegram versus Discord. So, and, and typically, gaming is associated with nfts even though not all nfts are gaming so you are going to find those communities um centralizing more around discord and the channels and everything else in those servers yeah it's really interesting that you bring up there's such a large social aspect to gaming nowadays and especially with the nft space i feel like the community is like 50 percent of of the actual experience At and least. one thing that you mentioned is that debate is is good and we were talking about this before jumping on the podcast but um, how being able to argue with someone, it's, it's actually healthy for an, an emergent ecosystem, a, an ecosystem that's already stable, 
politics. It's healthy for all, for all sorts of different reasons. But if you tell me some of your uh, debates and some uh, feelings that you have towards NFTs that, that maybe people disagree with you with and that you feel strongly about. Sure. Okay. Well, you know, uh, I definitely hold some opinions that are not extremely popular in um, the Ethereum and NFT communities. Um, and I definitely uh, have expressed those opinions in more than one way and more than once and continuously at times. Um, so I would say for me, it boils down to mostly the, the first issue right now that I want to solve and that I want the NFT community to solve is it boils down to providing lasting value to the users. And where what I mean by that and what specific problem I mean to solve first for this, which it, there's more things to solve than this, but this is something I think just needs to be done um, more. It's not really been done yet. It kind of has is storing the if a token has associated art that that art should be treated with the same level of respect that we treat the NFT token itself and the metadata as well. So what I mean by that is there are many projects, not all, by the way, there are projects that are making efforts to do this the right way for the most part. Um, we'll get to the, the minutia of all that as, as I go on on this, but most projects are not storing metadata anymore even directly on chain and this is for a variety of reasons but then the metadata is not there and then the, the art is definitely not there and this really goes back to crypto kitties again so let me go back there <laughs> so when i bought my first crypto kitty i thought that and when i bought my first hundred crypto kitties it was probably sometime in march in 2018 where i realized that my CryptoKitty art was not stored on the blockchain. I thought it was. And uh, I actually have a theory that has not yet been disproven. It's not an easy theory to disprove, but by my own anecdotal, anecdotal research, um, this is the broad assumption of most people that get into the NFT space. They believe that their token is, includes the image that, and that is somehow on the blockchain. Later, as people learn more about NFTs and the technology and Ethereum and the limitations, then they come to realize, oh, it's not actually stored on the blockchain, like the image. And I, I died a little bit inside when I learned that I'd you know, spent at that point probably a few hundred dollars at least on pictures of cats that, I, that aren't actually like preserved like the token and, and the metadata itself. Because CryptoKitties does store their metadata on their token. The breeding mechanic of CryptoKitties is taking that metadata from both those cats and then combining it with some magic and kicking out a new cat. But the art itself isn't. Now, it was actually CryptoKitties' intention to store the art in an immutable way. They wanted to do that when they set out and they just didn't end up doing it because it wasn't practical at the time, or so they thought. And they looked at IPFS and decided not to use that because it was not a viable long-term storage place. It's just like Napster. It's a, it's a distributed network. It's not a decentralized network and there's no incentives to continue to host these things. And anyways, it's kind of a hack right now. And they realized that IPFS does have some benefits. We can talk about that a little bit later, 
but they decided not to do that. And by the way, I think that's a pretty big signal. And maybe it was a mistake. I don't think it was a mistake on their part not to do IPFS, but it was a pretty big signal that CryptoKitties made a conscious decision not to do IPFS. But they decided to host that art themselves because they didn't think there was a way that they could put this art on chain. And uh, the one of the founders of CryptoKitties, Mac, he wrote a blog post talking about this. I think it was in December 2017, where he's like, we want to put this on chain. We just can't. And we're going to figure out a way one day. Is That's our intent. Like, we want to do that. We want you to own the art. You know, we want it to be stored forever. But uh, didn't happen. Hasn't happened yet. I do still believe that that is their intent. So anyways, like that's kind of what sparked this whole thing in my head where this is a problem because for me, and you'll see me kind of meme out this emoji that set that I kind of made because it's, I, I think it's exemplifies what I mean. It's the, the picture frame plus DNA equals 100, um, which is to me, the art plus metadata is the NFT equals the NFT. So for me, it's the art, if you're like, not all NFTs have to have art associated with them, but if they do, then the art should be immutable along with the token and along with the metadata. And it's actually the art plus the metadata that makes that token what it is. There are people who will say that it's the token and the cryptographic token and blah, 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 blah. What, I'm sorry, but whatever they say there, they go all technical on me and I glaze over a little bit. It's not though. It's like for a user, it's the art. And if that metadata has relevance to the user or has scarcity or value, then it's that, you know, the token itself is just like a file folder. The token is just a wrapper. It's what's in it that matters, right? Like it's what's inside. So that's fundamental to me. And like, so for the last 18 months, I've just been kind of going crazy as I've watched project after project come out and not solve this thing. And I've seen more and more projects actually move away from even trying to put metadata on chain for, for practical reasons for themselves, really. I mean, if you want to do an NFT project these days, you're going to have to host off chain. Um, you're going to have to host data uh, about your NFT, your metadata in like a JSON file off chain anyways, just to serve to OpenSea in order for OpenSea to be able to know what your metadata is. OpenSea's not going in there and decoding CryptoKitties trait hash off the blockchain and presenting traits that way. They're not doing that. You know, they're, they're looking at a, a hosted file that has this JSON data that CryptoKitties has created to match the hashed metadata on the CryptoKitty itself. So it's like, you know, you're trust, you're still trusting that, that, that CryptoKitties is providing accurate information to OpenSea and that OpenSea is providing accurate information and displaying what CryptoKitties is providing that way. So what's every project that wants to be on OpenSea has to host this JSON file in order to, to have their stuff there, because there's not really like a standard right now that you know, decodes those hashes and things like that. So I'm not even dinging OpenSea here for this, just the way it is. So what projects have done increasingly is they'll just treat that file as their metadata and they'll point to that file from 
on the token. So where you would normally see like a metadata hash or some other external reference for the image or something like that, something else, you're now actually getting those external references to metadata. So look, I don't want to be like the sky is falling guy, but you know, I don't think in a one to two to three year timeline on these things. I'm thinking in a 20 year timeline. I'm thinking about, you know, what are these things going to be worth in 20 years? And when you do that thought exercise and you go through this, if the art isn't there, like that's pretty bad. And if the metadata isn't there, that's even worse. Like, what are you left with? You are left with an NFT token that is an ID number and has a broken file link inside of it. It's worth nothing. So like here we are speculating on these like things and people have spent thousands and in some cases hundreds of thousands or a hundred thousand plus dollars on some of these tokens and it's all ephemeral like it's going to go away one day because we're, we're still like using outdated models of hosting our our data about these immutable tokens in mutable places so to me it just like completely breaks the whole thing and what i'm deathly scared of is that we do go mainstream and that uh, projects that someone will invest many dollars in, that there's a large investment in a large user base somehow shuts down or something happens and the tokens go away or whatever. And then everybody just thinks NFTs are a scam. I'm just, you know, we saw very recently additional decided to close their doors and their tokens are going to go away. And for some reason, last night I was on OpenSea and people are actually buying additional tokens. I don't even want to try to figure out what's going on there. That's exactly the sort of thing that I'm scared of happening. And here it is happening, right? So like, it's going to happen more, it's going to happen more and more, it's going to happen to nearly every project that exists today. And so like, that's my sky is falling moment. I'm sorry, all you NFT devs out there that have done all this really amazing work. But you need to work harder on making sure that your tokens are going to survive when you're not here anymore, because there will be a day when you're not. So I believe that NFT projects that involve like the art and the metadata need to have that data preserved, ideally on the same blockchain that the NFT itself is on. Because one blockchain could go away one day or not have the same user support and things like that. So just storing it on another blockchain isn't necessarily checking the box completely. It's partially checking the box. It's good, great. You did some immutability, but you've still created this parity where one relies on the other. And like the other thing I want to point out here is, is like art on chain is very hard because we have very, very limited storage space on the Ethereum blockchain as it stands right now. And it's just not an easy problem to solve. So, you know, it's not like this is like the simplest thing to do and everybody's just being lazy. It's really not a matter of that. But there has been a bit of laziness in trying to innovate here, I believe. Uh, CryptoKitties didn't put art on the chain. So no project that followed except for really autoglyphs has even really made any sort of effort in that way um, because it's accepted norm that you don't do it because you can't. And that's really the answer you get is that it's not practical or you can't and that the Ethereum blockchain wasn't meant for storage, which I actually call bullshit on because there's actually a storage layer on the Ethereum blockchain and you can pay to store stuff. So if you can do it, then it was made to do it. I just think that these things need to stay together and be one because I, I mean, the idea of provenance in the art world, 
you know, you have all these issues and you rely on these art houses and auction houses and things to, to authenticate and to provide provenance and to keep records. And there's all these like, there's, I think I heard something like 20% or 30% of the auction house fees actually go towards like authentication and provenance and things like that. Like when you do a large sale, if the art and the metadata, which, you know, is whatever important data about the artist or whatever else, the art and the metadata are together and they're in this token, like you actually have perfect provenance for art. It solves like this big issue that costs a lot of money in the art world. And it's like such a no brainer. Once there are storage mediums, like once you can figure out how to store these really large art files and digital files and things on, on chain. And, and I am mostly talking right now about digital art. I'm not talking about like physical to digital. That's a whole different like ball game. And uh, other people are thinking about that more than me. And uh, I'm not really focusing on that part. I'm kind of focusing on how do we get art on chain more than like, you know, the physical to digital um, crossover and things like that. This is like the foundation of like everything that's been bothering me like about this. It's kind of come together in this clear picture of metadata plus R equals the NFT. And that is the NFT. So I, I absolutely, I love that meme, the art plus metadata equals NFT. I think that, especially with the emojis, I think that could really catch on. But I think that it, quickly to take the other side, if I was CryptoKitties, you know, maybe I would want to store the art on chain, but wouldn't it be outrageously expensive if I want to store every single picture and every single image all on chain? Yes. And um, it turns out that for the most part, if CryptoKitties now wanted to try to preserve their assets on chain, that's exactly what they would have to do. I've had some discussion, some discussions with uh, with uh, Alan Carr, who's one of the um, product product leads on CryptoKitties, and uh, there's some version, there's some traits in CryptoKitties that have like 17 or more variations of the art. And they have gone through the um, extensive effort of preserving each variation in each and every cat that has that different variation. They don't have like one file base layer for one cat. Um, and if you were to store each CryptoKitty on chain individually, I don't even know that you could do it today, to be honest with you. I don't think you could in one transaction. Is it because it would be too expensive or why, why is that? Well, I don't actually think that it'll fit. I could be wrong about that, but right now we'll get to this a little bit later, but I think we're cutting off our storage uploads for art at like 12.5 kilobytes. We're breaking it down into files down into chunks of 12.5 kilobytes or smaller. So I think a CryptoKitty is somewhere in the range of like 50 kilobytes, more or less. Could be even double that, but just generally speaking, maybe 50 kilobytes. So no, it wouldn't be practical. And you're absolutely right um, to take that counter argument. And this is like, kind of like what bothered me is like, all right, well, there's gotta be a way. Kind of segueing into what I've been working on now. So this problem has been bothering me for a long time, but for the last six months, I figured it out. At least I figured it out in part, like how to store art on chain efficiently and, and not have to do the every cat on the chain. There's this cool little project that the OpenSea guys actually launched called ETHmoji. It's actually, if you want to set like an avatar for your OpenSea profile, 
you basically have to go and create one of these ethmoji. Um, and what it is is like they're these layers and they're SVG layers. And so you pick the different layers and you build your own uh, ethmoji, um, which is like these silly little emoji type characters. Then, you, you know, the different layers have different prices. And then when you create it, like no one else can create that same ethmoji, right? So I thought that was pretty neat. I've created a few. But what I thought, the, what was neat, neater to me there was that individual people owned the layers. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So like they got to set the price on the layers too. So like an individual sets the price on the layer. And then when someone creates an ethmoji with that layer, that person gets paid. CryptoKitty's traits are like these layers. It's not the same, but like it's a similar thing because they're SVG sandwiches getting put together in different ways. Like in the case of CryptoKitties, you're bre there's breeding taking place and then um, CryptoKitties servers get the information and assemble that that image based off of the, the trait hash metadata. And with these Moji's case, they're you're literally just building your own. You're just putting the pieces on top of each other and then it's putting it together that way and minting the token with, with that metadata. I never checked to see if uh, ethmoji was storing their metadata on chain. What I did check to see is if they were storing those base layer images on chain because I realized that they were small enough to fit on chain. And I realized that if CryptoKitties had just stored the base layers on the chain and then assembled those layers like based off of the metadata that like they'd only have to store each base layer one time and they could create literally tens of thousands or if not hundreds of thousands of cats using that one image combined with 10 other of the base layers. So that was the light bulb that went off in my head was that like, it's just a SVG image layer. Like that's all these cats are like, you could just, like store that thing, that layer, those googly eyes, you can store that one time and then somehow apply that to every googly eyed cat ever and only account for the storage of those googly eyes once. That was the like epiphany I had. And I mauled on this idea for a little while because I didn't have a developer that could build this. Everybody that I talked to thought I was crazy. Um, that's an exaggeration, but uh, all the developers and I went on the like ETH dev and things like that and all of the different NFT communities. And um, I just was basically told that, you know, you don't store images on chain and no one really wanted to even listen as far as to learn that, you know, I was only going to store each of these base layers one time. Like they just didn't even want to hear it. So I gave up on the idea for a little bit, but it still kept bothering me because no one was doing it. And like autoglyphs then came out earlier this year in like March, I think I might be mistaken, March or April, forgive me if I'm wrong about those dates, but autoglyphs came out and all of a sudden here's like the creators of CryptoPunks, which is, you know, OGAF. I mean, they're, they're like the original NFT. There's debate as to, you know, which ones came before that, but they were the first like project to really like get attention and uh, I have a lot of respect for the Larva Lab guys and for for um, punks and for autoglyphs. I mean, I love autoglyphs because they're like, hey, look, we're figuring out like if you read about it, they're like they talk about how like when CryptoKitties came out, like they were a little disappointed 
that the art wasn't on chain. I believe if I'm remembering correctly, uh, I think they did an interview on art gnome is the name of the blog where they talk about this and like they were disappointed, but then they realized like it wasn't very practical. And then they tried to figure out how to put some stuff on chain and they worked with it for a while and left it. And then maybe had a breakthrough about like these, the model they ended up developing for autoglyphs with this um, character art. But that what they had done is created something where like when you mint a token, an autoglyph, it actually on 64 lines, it writes 64 characters on each line to represent this character art. So like you kind of see a representation of that art actually in the metadata on chain. And so that was pretty inspiring because up to that point, like I was starting to think that I actually was crazy. Right. And that like, maybe this wasn't what was meant to happen. And, and I like, no one cared. So like, it just wasn't going to happen. So seeing them do that was pretty inspiring. I actually own 33 or 34 autoglyphs today. That's actually outside of CryptoKitties, I think like my number one NFT holding. And it's still not a very popular project, but like, you know, in 20 years, it's going to be the only one that's still here. Actually, but this is a great segue. So your project that you're working on, you identify that there's a big issue. I believe that you are correct that art plus metadata equals NFT, but it's not very, I guess, realistic for a lot of these companies to add this, the art and metadata onto the NFTs. You looked at that and you're like, this is a big problem. I think I have a solution. You were able to figure this out. You were able to build uh, layer by layer. So for example, one set of blue eyes, one black t-shirt or something like that, and put it on on chain once and able to use that again and again. Yeah, essentially no t-shirts yet. So what we're doing and, and I didn't have, so the, the idea wasn't fully baked yet because I did eventually find a developer on the ETH dev Reddit, um, a guy named Cliff, Clifford Hall. Awesome, awesome dude, uh, musician, writer, artist, um, and developer. His initial reaction was, you don't do that. You don't put art on chain. But he actually held his tongue and wrote an actual response, like giving me his information. And, and we ended up connecting. And that was really where things started to take real shape. I mean, I already made the commitment to do it at that point. Like I just... I got inspired by the autoglyphs thing. I kind of let the idea like matriculate for a couple more months. And then, you know, when Libra was announced and then EOS voice, I thought that was a good signal that like there was going to be more mainstream users entering the space that were going to have excess crypto to spend. And so I wanted to give them something to spend it on that would, that they would be able to use on these on Facebook and on EOS voice, which are both social platforms and also on places like Twitter and everywhere else. I had been toying with the idea of like a higher fidelity version of CryptoPunks and the SVG sandwich idea kind of converging with that. The final decision before going out and finding a developer was that I didn't actually need to make a game because like I don't think most games in crypto right now are doing a really great job when it comes to gaming. Like I'm a gamer, these games are boring, right? Like. Gods Unchained seems pretty good. I haven't actually played it. I have played other tournament card games and things, and I do enjoy that class. Um, I got a little burnout on Artifact before Gods Unchained came out. So I'll probably return to that at a later point. But I decided we didn't need a game um, and that, you know, CryptoPunks, there wasn't a game and that CryptoKitties, there really isn't a game either. You breed and that is a game in a sense. And we call it a game because there's game mechanics built into it, like Chasing Fancy cats and things like that 
all these other projects that were coming online were coming out with with games. And I think probably, um, you know, Crypto Space Commanders, I like what they've done um, as far as like bridging that gap between like Steam games and crypto assets. As far as like on-chain games, um, I think Axie Infinity has actually probably done a better job than than most others as far as like actual like somewhat tangible gameplay within the limitations of blockchain right now. Um, Cheese Wizards was interesting, but the the hurt goes a little too deep to get into that one at the moment. Um, I lost a, a good good bit there, um, and uh, it was just more heartbreaking to lose than the actual loss of the ETH. Most of the games aren't that great, so I just decided like I don't want to focus on trying to make these like game these things a game. I just want to make a really good NFT token. Like that was the goal of what, by the way, we're now calling Avastars. So that's the name of my project, Avastars, Avatars with a S kind of stuck in the middle there. I went to Cliff with with the idea of just creating an on-chain art generative SGB, SVG art token um, project. And at first the idea was to do all of the RNG on chain and uh, you just basically paid them into token and you kick out uh, a randomly generated uh, Avastar. And the idea at the time was just that the base layer was stored on the smart contract. And then when you like created the avatar, that there would be a smart contract function that would assemble the art. And that's when like the art would be created and it would kick that out and the user would see it and like decide if they got good random or bad random luck there. Um, And then create another one if they wanted. So we were going down that path for a little bit, and then um, Clovers came out. Are you familiar with Clovers? Yeah, I thought well, when it first came out, I thought it was really, really interesting. I, I didn't quite understand it. Yeah, I know that's that's funny to say because it's not very complicated, but it just this kind of, how would you explain it? It's like this kind of game in a sense. Yeah, I don't know either. I think like my thoughts are yours there too. Like, I don't know how exactly fun, I would though. explain it. It would yeah, I mean, it was neat, right? Like, so can I just ask, like, what did you find fun about it? Like, when you say that, it's so weird for whatever reason. Right when I figured out that, okay, you know, you want to get a cool pattern, and just not only for yourself, because okay, I as humans we like nice patterns, but even for yep. hey, maybe if I get a cool pattern by quote unquote mining, I'll, I'll be able to sell this. You know, so it's kind of this uh, motivated by profit, motivated by the process being easy, and motivated by finding these interesting patterns. So the visual mining aspect of it, right? Right. right. Like in there, right? Cause that was what appealed to me too, right? It was like, I found myself kind of addicted, enamored, engrossed in this scrolling and trying to find the rare things. At the time, what Cliff was building in our back end was actually a similarly functioning tool that allowed us to randomly scroll through the art that we were having created by these amazing artists, uh, Marmota and Milky. They're in Brazil. Uh, I forget the name of the, the town. Anyways, they're amazing artists. What we were doing was we had this dashboard where when they would deliver art for us, uh, we would be able to stick it into our system. And then, you know, there's so many different variations. And I can talk about that a little bit later, but we could then scroll through and see the different variations and understand if there was art conflicts or if that was an appealing trait to us and things like that. So like I'm scrolling through Clovers and then at the same time, I'm like scrolling through our Avastars to like 
test the art. And I had another kind of epiphany moment where I was like, it would be way more fun to find cool avastars than to like pay to have a random one minted and not have any idea what you're going to get. If someone was doing like what they're doing with clovers where they're scrolling, like they're, they only have to buy the ones they like. They never have to buy one they don't like. And like, they never have to pay to see more, which that idea was explored. And I shot down because I don't like that idea. I mean, you just scroll through the things. So anyways, we had this kind of, I had the, you know, a light bulb moment where I realized that like, I also realized pretty early, like a, a lot of respect to Clovers and what they did, but I knew it was going to wear off pretty quickly. I liked the idea of scrolling, the visual scrolling. It was fun. I spent hours doing it. I probably minted like, I think I minted like a hundred Clovers in the first 24 hours. Also like the Clovers themselves. Yeah, the patterns are cool, but it's so simple and like so abstract that it's not going to have like any sort of lasting or long-term appeal like visually and that's like ultimately what would keep people in, engaged with it i really liked the scrolling and i'm sitting there scrolling through avastars and i was like okay so anyways talk to cliff and uh i was like what if like we scroll instead and then um he loved it because we were working on all these different ways it turns out random number generation on chain is really not an easy thing and uh, so we were had been working for a couple of weeks to try to figure out uh, if we were going to use an Oracle or, you know, uh, you know, commit reveal, like what what were we going to do to to do this right? And so when I told Cliff, we didn't have to do ran, random number generation on chain anymore. He like basically had a party. So we decided that we're no longer a pure, pure, pure blockchain play. Like we're going to take some of this like random number stuff off off chain for example like all of a sudden like our eyes open because like now like before i was thinking about like an extremely small cap and very expensive to do and like a very exclusive sort of project um but like our art was going to see a very limited light of day right like as it stands right now i think it's safe to say because of the new backgrounds we just added in i think well, we're at least at 1.8 quintillion possible Avastar combinations. Like there's 1.8 quintillion, um, you know, that's that's divided by males and females since, you know, they have different traits and they can't mix and things like that. But combined, the two of them, there's that many different Avastars possible. So when we were talking about like having like a, a thousand cap or something like that, like the percentage that you're going to see versus the effort and time that our artists put into designing this and trying to make sure there's good variation and traits and everything else was just going to be completely wasted. The idea of scrolling and being able to find the ones you like and buying just those and then making them affordable, that kind of took the project in another direction. And then up to that point, I was still assuming we were going to actually um, like generate the art on chain, like when they minted the token. And I was worried about the cost associated with that. But then one day Cliff was just like, dude, we don't have to actually assemble the art on chain when we mint the token. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, we've already generated the art in the person's browser when they're, you know, searching for the Avastar. We're going to use that image to like host on our own site. And we're going to provide that image to, to pointer to OpenSea as well. So like, we don't actually have to, to do the call to create 
the art because the art's already created off chain. And I was like, well, well, but doesn't that defeat the purpose? He's like, no, because the metadata has the art, like the, the metadata has the instructions, like it knows which, which traits to assemble. And so what we've done is we've built in a assembly call that a user can call at any point to assemble the art of an existing Avastar. When the Avastar is minted on the blockchain, we just mint the metadata hash. Like that's all we do. It's just a metadata hash and whatever, you know, like token ID and stuff like that. And it's just like a CryptoKitty hash in a sense. So cost wise, it'll actually be less than breeding a CryptoKitty um, as far as like the on-chain aspect, because we're only doing one transaction where CryptoKitties, you have to like pay for another transaction in advance as well. So anyways, the cost to actually mint the token on the blockchain is going to be the same as any other token that does or doesn't have the metadata stored on chain. It's going to be relatively you know, cheap. And then the call that can be made to assemble that art based on that metadata is essentially like what you would do when you go to Etherscan and look up information about a token on a contract, right? Like you can put in a token ID for uh, an autoglyph and that'll actually assemble the autoglyph, right? So this isn't a new thing. Like autoglyphs did this too. You, like you can reassemble your token. So we're doing the same thing where you can reassemble your token at any time in the future. So 50 years from now, if Ethereum still exists, which I hope it does in 50 years, and I'm dead and gone and you're dead and gone and everybody that was involved in this is gone, some kid can go in and literally output the art of an Avastar by putting in the token ID to this call, as long as that's like still a findable function on the blockchain, right? Like it'll be possible if you own the token or if you know that you can always recall that art. Actually, I, I don't even think it's like predicated on owning the token. I think if you just put in the ID number, like it should kick it out. I'd have to ask Cliff, Cliff for clarification there. So where is the art being stored? It's stored within the metadata or it's being stored, you said in the browser and, but it's connected to something. Could you go over that again? Yeah, sorry. So like technically, what's happening is what you'll see on OpenSea and on Avastar's website, we're hosting that image, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's generated for the first time when a user finds it, right? You're mining for these Avastars. When they generate an Avastar in their browser and then select to mint it, that's when we're going to grab a copy of that image. But what's going on is like assembly in our browser of these Avastars based on a trade hash is the same like function that takes place on our smart contract as well. So like if you plugged in a trait hat, the same trait hash into our website, like if you had a way to do that, which you don't, but if you could plug in that trait hash to our website and you plug that into our smart contract, it would kick out the identical image because it's using the exact same art. Um, so where the art is stored on the blockchain is, is via the base layers only, right? Like we just store that base layer one time. And then what happens is those all of those base layers are stored there. The hash has a yeah, it has a function and it says, okay, you have like vampire teeth and you have face type two, right? And et cetera, et cetera. And it goes and pulls those pieces of art and it creates this SVG sandwich, is what we call it. And we sandwich together the different layers, and then we output the image, right? So like it's not stored 
but it's like ready to be assembled. Like you can recall it at any point. You can like create that image at any point in the future based on this call. And like the call doesn't, I, I, there's some debate on whether it costs anything. My cliff claims it costs something and there's a refund then that's automatically comes in and like places like Etherscan pay for that, but there's no state change in making this call. You're basically just using the world computer of Ethereum to assemble this smart contract, like the smart contract assembling the art basically. So, so anyways, like, yeah, like there could be in theory, you know, a billion of these tokens and it's still just going to be one copy of each layer stored on chain, which we're paying to store that stuff up front on chain in the smart contract. Um, current estimates are somewhere around four to five ETH that could vary based on gas prices and everything else. But, you know, so for under a thousand dollars, you know, we're going to store all of our art on chain. So the reason it's so cheap for you guys to be able to store your art metadata on chain is because the, the, I guess the structure that you guys have, the architecture that you guys have stored it because CryptoKitties, like, why can't they just use your methodology and store all their art on chain for as cheaply as you just said? I mean, obviously they have more assets, but. Right. Well, I, yeah. I mean, that's how I learned about the 17 variations of like one piece of art that, you know, CryptoKitties has when I went to, you know, CryptoKitties and I was like, Hey, figured this out and i think you guys can do this too then there was a discussion about how they've gone to these lengths to preserve each version of the art and like within the crypto kitties community like og art is what it's called like the original art and like that is a important thing and people do value cats that have like art that's changed and stuff so in their case like it's not practical to go back and do this for their existing cats in the same way i guess they could potentially do it if they like did like the different versions variations of the art and special markers for each variation and and everything else like it could be done but i'm not sure if like they will do it that way or if it has aligns at all with whatever their future plans are for crypto kitties they may have a better idea they're building flow blockchain they've hinted at you know this idea of true ownership and um when i've asked questions in the flow discord about like storage and stuff like that um, it sounds like they're aligning to be able to do like longer term or long-term storage um, on a blockchain you know on flow maybe so maybe they're looking at that for a destination for crypto kitties or or something i i don't know but you're right like like that's why if you go back to what i originally said it's like i didn't they didn't think of it at the time if crypto kitties had designed crypto kitties this way it could have been done this way they could have probably stored all the art on chain for you know, at the time, Ethereum was much more expensive, but for like, you know, under five grand, probably. I, I mean, look, it's easy to say that, you know, there could be more minutia to it, but uh, Avastars, we have uh, approximately 400 visual traits and then a couple hundred color traits as well, um, color palettes for different traits. Um, so, you know, six, 600, 650 traits. It's on the same scale as CryptoKitties and they're both SVGs. Our traits vary in size uh, from, I think like as small as like maybe like three kilobytes or our actual artistic uh, drawn traits, not the colors. The colors are smaller than this, I think, but like three kilobytes all the way up to, I think this, some of the more complex hairstyles and stuff are like maybe like 30 kilobytes or something like that. Maybe our biggest ones in that, that order 
or that range. Um, and in those cases, we actually have to break that down into several parts and uh, upload that as several different parts um, rather than all at once. So, so let's say Avastars is launched and I, I'm a user, an NFT collector or whatever. I want to buy some Avastars or collect some Avastars. You said that there's kind of a, a Clovers-esque function kind of with mining. Can you explain that? Yeah, so the way it'll work is pretty much exactly like Clover's works in a sense where you'll go to our website. Our lore is basically um, loosely that um, in 1985, the uh, the ship Genesis 721 launched by Avastars Corp um, to go find and inhabit a new planet somewhere in our, our solar, not our solar system, our, uh, our universe and uh, our galaxy rather. And so, you know, here we are in 2019 and the ship has found the planet, which we have named Planet Avastars. And the engineers on board, who the users are the engineers that have been on the ship, are, are ready to teleport Avastars to, to their new planet. Your job as the teleporter engineer is to find and select excellent candidates to populate this new world. And the teleporter machine um, runs off of Ethereum or it runs off of ether. So you need to basically make sure you have enough fuel to uh, to uh, teleport your Avastars onto the planet. And when you do teleport an Avastar onto the planet, when you mint an Avastar NFT, it is then unique. No one else can mint that same combination of traits. You own it, like you actually own it. Our artists uh, signed over the actual rights to the art to add to, to my company and we have assigned that then to say that every image created like when you mint an avastar you own that image you can do whatever you want with it you don't own the underlying image layers we own those but you own that unique image that you created when you were scrolling and found that and minted it that's really cool so because I, I think that the crypto kitties they have a nifty license where you, i don't think you actually you can use uh, your crypto kitty for commercial purposes up to like a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Yep. So that wasn't always in place and they've actually done a great job of expanding their license to allow that because um, that was them listening to their community. That goes back again to some other questions. Like for me, like fundamentally when I like breed a cat, like I've selected each cat I want to use to create this third cat. And like, I look at those as like, kind of like, the paints and the paint brushes of an artist and you're creating something new. Um, but CryptoKitties does own that underlying art and they have a right to like say that we do or don't like get that image that's associated with those underlying assets. And at first they basically said that you don't own it. And then that kind of doesn't feel very right when you're like talking about blockchain assets and you're breeding and everything else. So they modified it to saying that like you basically have a license to use it for whatever you want within reason, like no Nazi stuff or anything like that, but like, you know, use it for whatever you want. Um, if you're going to do commercial stuff, there are limitations. You can't like make a crypto kitty, like a logo for your company, for example, but you could commercialize like a logo, uh, a crypto kitty in different ways. And if you're going to earn more than like, I think it's a hundred or 125, 150,000, it's in that range. Then they're going to want to talk to you about like a shared, shared profit, like partnership sort of deal. It, it sounds like you went one step further with Avastar saying, hey, you guys own own your Avastar. 
Yeah, like right now what I've done, and, and I, I obviously need to have an attorney review this and everything else before we launch, but what I've done right now is I've actually taken the NFT license that CryptoKitties created and I've basically stripped it of all limitations possible. I think I left the only like true ownership in the sense of it is a license that says you own it unless you do some evil shit with it, right? Like if you do the Nazi stuff, like I'm going to go ahead and come after you, you know, but everything else like you can do if you want your like, I want to make it as true ownership as possible while still protecting our underlying art assets, right? Because what I don't want to happen is somebody to have an avastar with dreadlocks hairstyle and then take just those dreadlocks hairstyles and make that like the logo to their business. And then everybody else who had an avastar with those dreadlock hairstyles has now just been marginalized, right? So like the whole thing is about protecting the users and the other users who own that similar, that same trait, but in a different combination. So like, I just need to make sure that, you know, what you own and what is yours and what you can claim ownership to and true ownership to is that completed full like avastar, not like the underlying layers. So that's the nuance I'm playing with. Uh, I have reached out to one attorney so far to review that document and uh, he was engaged with me right up until I told him I was into blockchain and NFTs and I haven't heard from him since. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah well, one thing I, I love about your approach is that you are, you are a NFT user first and you took all of these thoughts and ideas and beliefs and you're like, hey, I wish that this thing would happen or I wish that it was like this. And you basically turn that into action. You're like, hey, I'm, I'm, no one's doing it. I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. I, I, I absolutely love that. I think that's great. Thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, like that's kind of the thing here too, is um, one of my critiques of like current like projects is they, not all, I mean, some are doing a really great job. Um, I actually have to give a shout out again to Axie Infinity here. I think they have really great community engagement. I think CryptoKitties has done a really great job, you know, for the last two years um, with community engagement for the most part. And then there's a obviously a couple other games who have really active and engaged in communities, but even CryptoKitties is like out of touch with their users. Like they are going down a path and like the users want them to go down a different path or a similar, but slightly different path. And there just doesn't seem to be a lot of like cohesive collaboration going on between like communities and the, the dApps themselves, um, at least in, in some of the communities I've seen. Like I know I've tried to become really engaged and help some early projects when I saw them taking some missteps and like, just seeing like the the feedback and everything, not just from me, but like when you're hearing it from like a dozen people or half a dozen people in your server, like you should probably listen. Zed, which no one should ever buy any Zed tokens. So don't go look it up after if you haven't heard of it. But Zed's like this horse racing NFT. We were just trying, there was a group of us in there like trying to advocate for them to do things to make it a really awesome project because it had like, their idea was really cool about like racehorses as NFT tokens and having like on on chain horse races and, and things. I really love the concept. It was beautiful. But then when we got in there into that community and started like really poking around, like not only was the project a mess, but like their founder and developers just like no clue what they're doing and, and no clue like what to do the right way. I do have the um, benefit of having I've, I've, you know, I've put a lot of money into NFTs. You know, I own quite a few valuable crypto kitties, crypto punks, autoglyphs, a variety of things. I've, I've probably put more money in it than I, I want to account for. 
Um, but it's all been a learning process for me and understanding like the differences and the nuances between these different tokens and projects and the strengths and weaknesses and, you know, the communities in each and how the developers like what they're what the developers care about. Right. Like that's what really matters here is like like when you go into these different communities and you like engage with the community and the developers and the community managers and moderators themselves, like you kind of get a sense for like what matters to that project it's almost like a intangible thing sometimes. But for me, that's where I get a sense for whether or not it's like really interesting or not. And like one community I keep in returning to, um, which I think they've done also an amazing job with engagement, but I don't, I'm more of a lurker on that one is um, Neon District. I mean, that one's really interesting for a lot of reasons. I don't at all agree with their approaches on metadata and IPFS and everything else, but they do have like an active and engaged community. Um, they do a lot of really cool projects. I like how they're like kind of like a skunks works that 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 isn't afraid to like work on some side projects that are just like kind of cool. I mean, they also did that token of infection that was just wrong on so many levels. But I respect that still because like they did it. So that so that's one that I'm not involved in, but like I think they've got the community engagement right, and they're actually listening to their users um, a lot. You know, CryptoKitties has done a lot better of a job, I think, over the last six months um, of really starting to listen to their users and designing their gameplay and experience um, around their existing user base instead of like trying to trickle in, you know, one user after another. Um, Axie Infinity is another community that's done a, a really great job listening, but. A lot of projects, I don't think just even are paying attention or don't even know like the right things to do. And unfortunately, I don't think a lot of users know either. So what we have right now is this situation where like we have some really interesting projects coming online that have some potentially like really, really bad practices when it comes to NFTs. This specifically is going to be a dig at ERC-1155 because... Oh. <laughs> because they're uh and sandbox game um and crypto voxels wearables and some other projects that have decided to to go down that route i think engine coin is also like kind of i think that's also 1155 if i'm not mistaken so anything engine coin in any case they've decided that metadata really does not belong on chain and that that json uh file hosted somewhere else not on chain is the way that people are going to do things because that's how OpenSea requires you to do it. So like, this is like what they considered best practice is I actually think the word they used in one of their articles or in one of, uh, in their white paper, I don't know if it was an article or white paper, I don't recall. Um, but they don't believe that metadata belongs on chain. They made a standard that's pretty easy for, um, developers to adopt. And that's like the main advantage of ERC-1155, as far as I can tell, is that like it's easy for developers to implement, but it's at the cost of this meta metadata and long-term storage implications. When I got into a debate with these guys, the developers of the standard about this, they eventually capitulated to some degree and, and shifted the argument to that, well, you can store this metadata on chain if you do these extra steps but like you literally have to like write this you have to like do another blockchain transaction to put this data then on chain so it becomes like even less efficient 
to put the data on chain than just to punt and host it off chain. They introduced the idea of fungibility, which I actually do think is interesting. And NFTs don't really handle uh, fungible tokens as well. I think like like 721 is really good for like unique things more so than even addition things. I mean, additions work and everything else, but it's more for unique things than this like fungible idea. So like 1155 does introduce this fungible token concept, which is kind of cool. But then I don't know. And like I go onto the websites and like look at like CryptoVoxels wearables, for example, it's hard to tell how many of an item exist. There's just other nuances that I just really don't like. But what it really comes down to for me is the fundamental decision with the RC1155 to like push metadata off chain, which, you know, we're not even talking about art. We're just talking about like metadata. If you have an ERC eleven fifty five, let's say sword, you're unable to see how how many of those swords are out out in the ecosystem. It's possible you can, but right now, from the research I've done myself on OpenSea, it's not exactly obvious. And like, I couldn't necessarily tell how many of an item existed. Like, there wasn't a count of like this many exist. I had to like count how many had been sold, like on their like activity feed for that item. And it sh it'll show that like you and 10 other accounts own this item, but one of those accounts could own like 10 of those swords. So like the account number isn't an accurate account either of like how many items there are. It's just one, one other data point. You prefer ERC 721. Yeah. I mean, I, well, it's, it's the best one that exists at the moment. ERC 1155 is newer, but I don't think that they did anything good for the users because like that's for me like i'm a user first i'm coming from that perspective i'm thinking about things from there like i don't actually think they did anything great for the users i just think they like made it easier for developers so they're trying to try i mean i'm pretty sure microsoft azure just said they're using erc1155 for their token thing which i actually think that that's one case where maybe it's okay because like i don't really see those tokens as think like maybe i'm wrong but personally i wouldn't want to like go buy someone else's like badges they'd earned as a azure developer and like that art on that badge isn't as important as like the existence of that badge and that it was put onto your account if you can at least prove what that badge is i can see a use case for 1155 there but what they've done is they've made a standard that was like i said easier to approach by developers so a result we're going to see here is that more people are going to use just like Ben at CryptoVoxels elected to use 1155 for for CryptoVoxels wearables, which is why I won't buy any. So it sounds like 1155 is just for it's it's much easier for the developers. So it's kind of yeah, as you said, developer adoption versus user kind of focused. Yeah, at the cost of metadata and like user and user's best interest, right? Like I I consider like immutable like data to be like in the user's best interest to preserve long-term value and and utility of the token itself so yeah but yes exactly it's easier so like that's why like i get scared because i'm like damn it like people are going to use this and not know any better or they're going to know better and not care because it's easier like either of those is a bad result so that's why i've kind of gotten up on my high horse i hate to like you know demean other projects in the way that I have, like in the case of 1155, but I just think it's dangerous for the the ecosystem. Um, if projects start to use this for like collectible NFTs and art NFTs, like no bueno. Right. It, it definitely sounds like it partially defeats the purpose of an NFT. Exactly. Like that's to me, like it's like the antithesis. And, and I do just want for one second while I'm thinking about it, and I don't want to forget to say this, like metadata on chain, like, you know, 
we're talking about a, right now today, like practicality, like a hash string, which is not really human readable information. I'll need to triple confirm this with Cliff, but I feel like very confident in saying that in addition to the uh, call that you can do to assemble the art, we're, we will also have a call that you can do to return human readable metadata. So like you can like make that call on the smart contract and basically get like your list of traits um, in a human readable form. So you can decrypt the metadata using our smart contract as well. Cool. So it would say like blue eyes, uh, brown hair, whatever. That's not, that's not exact, but yeah, it would say like eye color blue. Right. Okay. And then like eye type, like bombers. Right. And like, it would tell you that. And then additionally, what we're doing is we're adding in, we're doing some pretty cool stuff with the metadata, but one thing that I'm excited about is we're adding in an artist field so that it will actually talk about, uh, it will actually give credit to, in this case, for Generation 1 Avastars, it would be Mar Marmota and Milky. So it, they'll get credit for what they did. So if somebody looks this token up in 50 years, they'll be able to tell what artists created it. So if Marmota and Milky end up being like the next Picasso, then like, you know, you'll have like proof that like this was one of theirs. And eventually I think like, I think that the next standard like should include, I think there should be an NFT art standard developed that includes like the artist um, as a standard like metadata field. And then like the ability to designate um, a portion of like any future sales back to the artist, like a royalty fee basically. And I've seen this discussed among some of the crypto artists and um, this isn't my original idea, um, something that I've seen on Twitter and, and I just think resonates um, with me. And I, and I want I want to see like the art NFT space do is like start to do. I think Super Rare right now, like gives every artist a, a piece somehow. I don't know how they pull that off, but I do think a future NFT standard um, based around NFT art and digital art um, should include like credit to the artists and a way to like designate like basically like a wallet address to like deposit a portion of the proceeds to, and that could be determined to be arranged, you know, based on like the NFT creator and the artists themselves, like however much they think they should get. And that'll, that'll determine a lot of other things. Like the market will really like it if the artist is taking 50% of every sale, but um, it could be really interesting. Yeah. I think uh, super rare allows the artist to choose however many, uh, I guess, post their initial sale, they can choose however many, portions of, of the next sale that they'll get. So I think they can say, okay, after five resales of my piece of art, I no longer get a small portion. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I like your sort of mechanics. Like I actually feel like that should be maybe like somehow incorporated into a future standard too. at least metadata that supports that functionality. So maybe the metadata standard like includes like the artist and artist wallet or artist online identity or whatever it is. One of the conversations I'm looking forward to having as as the space emerges and grows further. I love it. All right, we're we're getting uh we're getting pretty deep in, into a lot of su subjects here, but I wanted to basically start to wrap up, and I'm going to ask you a few closing questions. And these are actually probably probably some of these are going to go pretty deep, so it's not um it's not super urgent. But all right, so first one, what is the your favorite NFT that you own? Um. I thought about this a little bit because I did see the, the list of questions you were planning on asking. I think there's two that I would call out specifically. That would be CryptoKitty number 202, which is Sir Meows a lot. Um, 
he is he was grant he was gifted to the moderators um of the crypto kitties discord he is a crypto kitty that is wearing armor and has a sword and i actually commissioned josie um the amazing crypto artist that i know both you and i are fans are of um josie actually painted I didn't give her much room for creativity here. I just had her paint exactly that cat um, on a, uh, I think it's like a 24 by 30 wood panel. And I'm actually looking at that right now, um, hanging on my wall. And she made an NFT of the painting. So I have a painting of an NFT token that has an NFT token associated with the painting. Um, so that is uh, my favorite crypto kitty i have some other nice ones i have a founder and um some other cool cats but that's my favorite and then um i have a couple really nice um autoglyphs if if anybody considers autoglyphs nice i look at them and see nice things um some people just see dots and lines um i have one that uh i i believe i named or someone else named mustache glyph i think i've actually heard about that on twitter yeah, it's, it's white space and and these four little mustaches, each one in a corner. Um, so I, I picked that up from a fellow CryptoKitties player. I think I paid five ETH for that one. Um, maybe it was the most paid for a glyph at the time. So that's my favorite. I have another really nice glyph that I've named Left Arrow Glyph, and it's a rarer pattern set and everything else. And it was about three times as expensive. But I, I think Mustache Glyph is, is my favorite of those. So... So Kitty202 Sir Meows a lot and uh, my uh, my mustache autoglyph, which is, I think, 391. I love it. All right, next one is, this is a very, very broad question. What would you like to see happen to the NFT ecosystem? And it could be anything from people are, you know, taking ERC-1155 to ERC-721 more seriously or, I don't know, more entrance in the space or what, what would you like to see happen? Well... You know, I've talked about a lot of specific things today. I think like for this answer, I'll go pretty broad. When I watch the movie Ready Player One, when they're in the Oasis, I see every single asset item, everything in that world is an NFT. I also see the gap between uh, the real world and, and, and the virtual world being bridged with NFTs as well. I believe that blockchain and then and then even more specifically nfts will be ubiquitous like technology it's a new layer of the internet and it will exist everywhere throughout our lives uh, i believe that we should be able to start our car with an nft token um, i believe that we should be able to will our home or our assets to people um, in some sort of blockchain fashion i could see an nft standard emerge that could support like wills and things like that. Um, I strongly, strongly, strongly believe that the next generation of identity will be based around non-fungible token being the center point for identity, um, both online identities and real world identities, such as your driver's license and your passport. I basically believe that both blockchain and NFTs are like like I said earlier, a ubiquitous layer of, of our life, like of our world. Um, it solves a lot of problems that we've unintentionally created as we've created this internet and information era and, and moved into that and all of this digital stuff that 
you know, our money today, um, I don't want to go on this diatribe too much, but our money today, like when you get a credit card and you like rack up like $10,000 on your credit card, like you just create, like the bank just created $10,000 out of thin air and gave it to you. Right. And like that money doesn't exist except for that you spent it. And like, that's not possible with blockchain. Also, when you digitize, when you tokenize digital assets, like, yeah, you can right click and make a copy of my CryptoKitty, but I can prove I own that and no one else can prove they own that CryptoKitty. And like, there is some real power to that. I think that is like the world is ready to have unleashed on it. And I think like Ready Player One's a cool, for me, a cool example because it's a popular movie. Steven Spielberg did it. I actually, I loved the book. I was anticipating the movie. I actually think Spielberg did a great job with the movie, even though there was parts that were different. Um, but I think it's a great way to like get people to understand what NFTs could be. Like watch that movie and pretend everything in it is a non-fungible or fungible token and like, or, or cryptocurrency for that matter. Like that whole world exists on the blockchain, like in some way, like it's interacting, like that's part of the metaverse. And so like, that's what like, I'm building for is the metaverse. Um, I don't call it Oasis because that's like a cheesy name of a thing in a movie, although Oasis is a pretty cool cheesy name. So Avastars, you know, I said earlier that like this is kind of where we're getting started. Like right now it's getting this art on chain. I'm actually like very, very interested in the intersection of, of identity as well. And like we're creating avatars. So like identity plus an avatar, like they're loosely the same thing. And now we've got this like way that we can kind of tie them together. And we're going to have these emerging online worlds like Oasis, like all these different VR projects are getting started and trying to figure out how that's going to work. And like you have like futurists claiming like the next, the next like big social networks and things like that are actually like things like, um, like Roblox and these different like online worlds and what i'm hoping that avastars becomes is like i'm not building a game said that earlier but i'm trying to build the assets that people will use in the metaverse so like avastars today are basically like portraits of svg two they're two-dimensional svg portraits like pretty simple art um, I mean, I think they look great. I think there's some really cool ones and my style is a little, imagination is a little crazy. So, you know, you have traits like gimp ball and, you know, people have gold grills and like, you know, silver grills on their teeth and like just crazy stuff. But um, in the future, like we already actually figured out how we could have done like full bodied avastars. They could have been wearing like NFT clothing and stuff, but you know, this project as it is right now, it's taking six months to design and develop. And we could have spent another year trying to like do the rest of it, even though we know how, because it's really just me and Cliff and the artists and a couple of amazing advisors giving me advice along the way. And then some friends that also have given me advice. So like it would take us a lot longer bootstrapping and doing this. So we need to get this first version out. But, you know, beyond that 2D portrait or that 2D fully bodied clothed avatar with pets and musical instruments, like the long term three to five years where I'd like to go is that we have 3D fully articulated animated avatars in 3D worlds that are also NFT tokens themselves and also a form of identity 
for the people who own them online. Like I just, that's what I want to make. Obviously I'm very biased. So I, I believe that. And I love that. I do think that the metaverse is coming. And I think it's so incredible that you're kind of, you're building avastars as an identity layer to the metaverse which I think is so, so cool. Well, that's the goal, right? Like who knows if I'll achieve that goal? Like, yes though, like that's what I, that's the vision for Avastars. Like I can't build that today, but like this art thing's important. And I do see like NFT, like I see these Avastars in the future as NFTs, like these 3D av avatars that people have in the metaverse, like as an NFT itself. There's a long road to get there, right? I had to start somewhere and I have obviously a lot of conviction about like our, our art, our art of our NFTs, like finding a way to be preserved on chain. And I do want to just say one more time because, or not one more time. I do want to say too about this art on chain debate that I'm sure, you know, more people will talk about after this as well Is like, I definitely understand that like not all projects can do this right now. There are some who could have, if they had thought of this the same way, to me, the idea seems like an obvious solution, but like, obviously it's not because people would have just already thought of this and done it if it was completely obvious. And it, this only really works well for like generative art that you can reuse assets like over and over again. And the only thing we've solved so far for here is like SVGs. There are a couple, I have a couple of friends who are also working on their own projects and they've for one reason or another, been inspired either by autoglyphs or by me or by both to design their own on-chain art projects. And one friend is doing like, basically instead of doing SVG base layers, they're gonna be writing the HTML for the token like on the metadata, like that is the metadata is the HTML, which does use like, I think some scalable vector graphics um, elements, but it's not strictly SVG. I understand like sites like Super Rare like they can't just stick their images on chain. Like some of these things are like 50, 60 megabytes. And I think like super rare is actually taking some time to like at least put IPFS file pointers in place so that they can move it to an immutable location in the future. You know, so so my call to the ETH development community and NFT development community isn't like put all your art on chain or you suck. It's more like challenge yourselves. Like I like felt challenged to do this and like, set out to try to figure out how to like put like nft art on chain and i figured out a way to put svg generative art on chain and i'm sure we'll try to do some other file medium and file type next i'd love to figure out voxels because voxels is essentially just the same box over and over again but just different colors so you could literally just write the box voxel box one time on chain and then use that same box to create like nearly infinite amount of voxel models. But I'd like people to figure out ways to do this, like using this, like what we're calling sharded art method, where we have these base layers stored on the contract and then the contract can assemble art based off of those things. That's the challenge. It's not that your projects are bad or anything like that. Like it just try to do better now that like I'm showing a way to do it. Like they're, do come up with better ways, please. And I'll buy your NFTs if you do. That actually segues perfectly into our next question, which is what are the key factors for success for an NFT project? It can be anything from the community to the technology to is it a fun game or et cetera? I think there's an X factor involved in all of these. I don't know exactly how to put my finger on that, but with like with CryptoKitties, for example, 
I believe like the art is the X factor. Like I think they made these special cats that you can kind of look at and like get that feeling and sense. So I think there's like always going to be an X factor. Um, and it might not always be like a visual thing. Um, it could be uh, a lot of different things. Like I think in the case of like Axie Infinity, for example, um, I think Jihaz is actually uh, Jeff Serlin. I think he's probably one of the X factors that helped make that project a success because he's so passionate and, and into it that like he like basically willed that community and project into being in success. And like that's one of the X factors as well. That's like different than art, but important also. But but I so but both of those things, by the way, those examples of X factors and specific projects like the arts, obviously going to be important in any sort of like collectible art, you know, image based NFT. Um, so I think the the quality of the art is one factor. I'm this is in no specific order. The quality of the art is one one factor. I, I think that like developer competence and like it's not just about knowing the technology, but like knowing the technology and building the right features at the right time or like for the right reasons, working on the right things for the right reasons. I think like that's kind of like a more harder to judge factor that I think comes with experience and just engaging with a lot of different communities. But that but that plays into like what I would call it, I guess, developer mindset is is what I would classify that in. Uh, so like art community developer mindset then like the token token design and economic design of the of the projects themselves autoglyphs has 512 autoglyphs and that's all there are you know cryptopunks has 10,000 cryptokitties is up to like 1.8 million and counting axes has a few thousand csc uh the crypto space commanders keep putting out you know more and more crates with more and more parts and more and more ships so like there's you definitely have to look at the economic model of it all if you're looking this as like any sort of like investment or collectible or thing you want to try to find a return on like there's a lot of different reasons to buy nfts and um i probably would never advise anybody to buy one for like strictly investment purposes you you have to have some sort of like emotional connection or like desire to own that token outside of strictly making money because i think like if you only look at it as money making like you're you're probably going to end up hurt and screwed, you know, in the long run, like, you know, you have to, the, the saving grace in like buying an expensive token and it not selling or not being able to sell it for what you bought it for is that like you have some connection to it. I just think that like, you know, that's, you know, the art, the community, the, the, the dev mentality, and then like the scarcity and, and economic model are like the four main things you can look at and determine if a project's worth investing your time and effort and, and money into. For me right now, like really none of the art's on chain. So it's hard for me to, you know, that's obviously an important factor for me that you can't really consider yet. So, but you can look and see if they're like taking links to preserve like the metadata on chain that, that goes back to like the developer mentality. So yeah, I think those four factors. Awesome. And the last question going to be probably pretty broad too. And mostly a guess, but where do you see the world of NFTs in the next three years? Well, I think we're going to be getting right to that point where my vision of the metaverse is going to be more like broadly accepted as probably where we're going. And I think we'll start to see more development that will enable that. Someone asked me a question last night, one of my very trusted advisors, and uh, the question's kind of been haunting me in a way. And 
I think that's why I'm probably bringing it up now. The question was basically about like, did I have, have we put too much investment into building avastars based on the size of the NFT space right now? And it was an interesting question because there's two levels of success for avastars here. And, and then I answered him basically like this as well. The first was putting an NFT project like art on chain and metadata on chain and building something that like I would want to own as an NFT owner. Me and Cliff, we built the best NFT that has existed to date once we launch on February 7th. It's like the best. I mean, I know that's my own subjective opinion, but like we're putting the art and metadata on chain. Like it's unique. Each one you mint is unique. Like there's so many cool elements. Like we have stuff that we're not even going to be able to have time to get into today, Andrew, like the composability of trait parts and everything. Like there's just so much cool stuff. I hope that it like some of something that we do here inspires some future projects and like someone else starts to see like this metaverse future and where NFTs fit into it and how huge they could be. And like, you know, I, I don't know. I hope I'm working with those people in like three years, you know, myself. I think that, you know, we're so early right now to this whole thing. Um, when I got in, bringing it back to the beginning of the conversation, you know, when I got involved in, in G Suite and uh, Google's enterprise program, like there were less than 30 partners. It's not an exact, I, I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but I think there's over 10,000 Google partners now like setting up this G Suite for people and everything else. And I remember how bad like some of the features and like compared to like Microsoft Outlook Exchange or Lotus Notes or whatever other, you know, email system these organizations were using. Like I remember how bad the technology was in some ways, but like it was good in other ways, but because it was cloud based and you could just log in your browser and it was a lot easier, but there was like all this feature parity and all these things missing. And it just felt like so infantile and young and that you just had to be like this hardcore early adopter. Like your CIO had to be like basically, you know, smoking something peyote or something in order to even decide to install this in even a 50 user organization, let alone a thousand user organization. And I lived through that and we thrived and we grew because like, we loved it and it was this emerging technology and i just see nfts as like for me like it's we're on the same like technology wave here like we're just so early in this adoption cycle like it is still very hard to use it's still clunky like none of it's very graceful like user experiences need to improve like everything needs to improve but like we're working on groundbreaking things here and like we just all need to push each other and continue to challenge each other to do better. I think in three years, we could be where I, where it might take us five years to get, I could be, you know, doing 3D virtual Avastar NFTs. That was perfect. I loved it. I'm equally as excited as you are. And I love your analogy of you were working on these products for Google early on where no one was using them and it was very, very niche. And then it expanded to now, you know, just absolutely massive. So you're kind of saying that you can see that the same inklings from your early, early days are now in the NFT space. So I'm excited. You're getting me, you're getting me pumped up. Nice. I'm getting myself pumped up, man. Uh, but it's absolutely true. Like, you know, I think that's one of the benefits of my experience here is that I've gone through like a full adoption wave of technology from like the very, very early adoption all the way to mainstream. And I know what it looks like. 
and this feels so much it i'm like 10 times more excited about nfts than i was about google apps and like literally like i was like the google guy like people would call me the google guy i <laughs> even people at google would call me like the google guy because like i was that excited about google apps and that's why i ended up doing like a bunch of training and change management because it was infectious and i was able to like basically go in and convince organizations to be as excited as I was about Google Apps. Awesome, man. All right, so where can people keep up to date with you and keep up to date with Avastars and just stay up to date with everything that you're going on? Yeah, so I've kind of been doing this like ninja shill of Avastars. We don't really have, we're not really like pushing too hard yet on any marketing, but you can find us on Twitter at Avastars NFT. And I am at Dap Wizard on Twitter as well. If you want to find us on Discord, I will put a link to the Discord on our uh, Twitter because I don't think I have that there yet. I've been doing, I've been hand recruiting um, individuals into our our uh, Discord at this time. Um, we're doing all of our development and stuff like that. We're we work out of Discord, but those are all private channels. So yeah, I would say just keep an eye on our Discord, keep an eye on my Twitter or on our Twitters. Uh, my Twitter and the the company Twitter and things will be ramping up a lot in like, you know, mid January leading into February 7th launch. And we'll also be at ETH Denver doing the hackathon and we'll be at uh, NYC, NFT NYC as well. If you want to catch up with me and tell me why I'm wrong, that's the places to do it. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for, for coming on and having this chat. You'll have to come back on soon and we'll uh, continue the conversation. Yeah. Thanks again, Andrew. And good luck with this podcast. I, uh, I hope that I was a good first guest for you. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Zima Red podcast and subscribe to the Zima Red newsletter for more info on all things NFTs. Thanks so much for listening.